Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Holly Elmore to the show. Passionate and driven, Holly Elmore is founder and CEO of Elemental Impact, a US-based global nonprofit committed to bringing regenerative operating practices to the corporate community. Holly utilizes her extensive business skills to make a difference through EI, now in its 10th year of regeneration in action. Holly channels her energy and enthusiasm into EI, spearheading initiatives that benefit the community, the environment, and the bottom line. Holly, how are you doing today? Raj, I am doing fantastic, and I'm simply thrilled to be here on the podcast with you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Holly, likewise. And where are you located, Holly? I'm located in Atlanta, Georgia. And how's the weather in Atlanta? It's been phenomenal. Today, it's a little chilly and cloudy, but we have had the most glorious spring. We actually had a spring this year. It didn't go from winter to summer like it usually does. I think in Dallas, we had about one week, so I know what you're saying. <laughs> so, and how are you holding up during this pandemic? The pandemic has been a gift for me. Um, I've got a year off from travel. I'm staying here once I returned home in January and all my trips are canceled for the rest of the year. When I'm in Atlanta, I work out of my home at my computer. I live in a great neighborhood uh, where I have gorgeous walking and all the stores that I need to go and stuff. So I'm in great shape and I find it a beautiful gift in my life. Well, I'm happy to hear that. And I heard a term today that I wanted to share. And so you're the first person I'm going to share it with. Plandemials. <laughs> it's going to be a new world. Isn't it just people that are graduating from school right now, perhaps college, high school, they're all plandemials. <laughs> so it was interesting. Yes. So Holly, I like to open the show by asking my guests the following question. Okay. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Well, I have an example that shows my tenacity of spirit and my base determination. For about eight years, I was an ultra cyclist. That's with a bicycle. And 100 miles was a short day. I rode my bike from Florida to Maine, from uh, San Francisco to Santa Monica. But the year I turned 40, I treated myself to qualifying. It took two years to qualify to ride Paris Brest Paris. That is a 1,200K ride. Um, there are only about eight, 800 Americans, or about 3,500 that rode it, but 800 Americans. And... You ride 750 miles in 90 hours. You have time stops. You must go in at checkpoints. You can't ride too fast. That wasn't a problem, but you can't ride too slowly either. And I'm very proud to have completed that. That is amazing. It must be the week for bicyclists. I recently interviewed Dana Gunders, who spent eight months riding her bicycle through Asia. 
Oh, wow. I did not know that about Dana. That is amazing. LinkedIn message on that one. And I did a 3.92 mile bike ride this morning for those that are wondering. Congratulations. Why, thank you. Got to start somewhere, right? (laughs) That's how I started. So Holly, can you share a little bit about your current endeavor? I can share about my current endeavor, but what I'd like to do first is talk about my professional experience because everything builds on to what we're doing now, which is exceptionally important. I started out my professional career at Arthur Anderson in Audit. Then I was controller of Trammell Crow, a huge real estate developer for another three and a half years. But this was in the late 80s, and they did not promote females to chief financial officer. So they laid me off and would not give me a decent letter of recommendation. So instead of going into martyr victim mode, I picked myself up and I started a catering business. I didn't know how to cook and I didn't see why that would be an issue um, because I knew I could get my foot in doors other caterers couldn't. Well, the fallacy that I could hire someone to cook, you know, proved. So I learned to cook quickly. But we it was a phenomenal 15 year run during the Olympics. uh, We did all the catering for the German consul general for eight years. And we did 100 percent of the German dignitary catering during the 1996 Olympics here in Atlanta. It also what's critical to my path is that I served on the founding board of the Atlanta Restaurant Council that segue, segue, segued into the Georgia Restaurant Association. And I did have two restaurants during that 15 year run. Um, I decided in 2003 that enough was enough and I would let go of my catering business. And I decided that I would create a flexible and fluid lifestyle and not get a job. And I was determined, I set my focus on manifesting the career I wanted and it would have no employees, no moving parts and no bricks and mortar. And I wanted travel to work out of my home and have all the benefits of being in the food service industry. I meandered without being in it. And I meandered for a few years. And then I ended up being an independent contractor at the Georgia Restaurant Association. And that's where I founded the Green Food Service Alliance. It started out 2007, 2008. We were forerunners in the local sustainable and green. That was local sustainable green roundtable is what it started as. But the local sustainable movement, in fact, the Green Food Service Alliance was given a, along with the um, ACF, American Culinary Federation, Atlanta chapter and George Organics, they gave us a resolution and we had a beautiful luncheon and the governor came and everything. And that was back in 2008. 2009, we formed the Zero Waste Zones in Atlanta, and they were the forerunner in the nation for the commercial collection of food waste for compost. It was a tremendous big deal. And we were on the homepage of CNN with a story that ran prime time in domestic and international markets. We were on the front page of the New York Times. I got a wonderful award, the uh, Grace, the Georgia Restaurant Association Crystal of Excellent Awards for Innovator of the Year in 2009. And then they decided that they valued what I created in the Green Food Service Alliance and they would keep it and I could take the zero waste zones and leave. And it was like the rug was just ripped right up from underneath me on December 27, 2009. And I had my first uh, national speaking engagement at the U.S. Composting Council that January. I had no idea who I was. I printed up cards, zero zero waste zones director. But I woke up shortly thereafter in the morning. I said, oh, the name is Elemental Impact. And on February 5th, 2010, filed, uh, formed as a uh, Georgia nonprofit and went through the 501c3 filings and became a fi- uh, national nonprofit under um, 
the, the regulations on November 18th, 2010. We were the home for the zero waste zones, um, but we sold the zero waste zones back to the National Restaurant Association in 2012. And we started the Sustainable Food Court Initiative in 2011. The zero waste zones were more about back of the house work, whereas the um, sustainable Food Court Initiative was front of the house and post-consumer food waste. And also we did a lot with plastic film recycling. And we worked with the big players. The Atlanta airport, the busiest airport in the world, was our first pilot. Back, I wanna, this is important to say. Back in 2011, early 2011, working closely with the National Restaurant Association, the Atlanta airport, and Elemental Impact, we did a back-of-the-house food waste collection pilot at the Atlanta airport on Concourse T with no problems. They don't have that collection anymore. They stopped, they, they never went through with it. And, um, but we did, we also worked with Simon Property Group. They're at the time were the largest um, commercial real estate owner in the nation and the most prominent malls. And this was at the time it coincided when the garment packaging, garment industry changes from packaging bulk for retail to individual packaging because of increasing internet sales. And it was just ballooning the plastic film. And what people don't realize is plastic film, when it's aggregated as a clean commodity, it is more valuable than OCC, old corrugated uh, cardboard. So we work closely with Concord Mills and Ray Salperowski up in Charlotte. And we also, another forerunner, we were the first shopping mall pilot for plastic film recycling. That was really important. And so we did the Sustainable Food Court Initiative. We worked a lot on post-consumer um, food waste. We worked on packaging because that's absolutely critical and uh, made major successes. But the mantra of Elemental Impact is EI looks at what could be done, isn't being done, and gets it done. EI identifies pioneers, creates heroes, and brings the possible out of impossible. And we were essentially done with our work. There were stadiums at this time in 2017 that had achieved zero waste, including post-consumer food waste. So our job was done because we're not, we're the entrepreneurs, we're not the operators. And so I announced in uh, June of 2017 that the era of recycling refinement was mission accomplished and that we were entering into the era of regeneration where our focus would be on soil health and regenerative agriculture and also water use and toxicity. And so that's been the last two and a half years. We've just, it's been so much fun because my personal passion, and you know, a lot of times people ask me, what drives you, you know, and I'm like, I've devoted my life to this. And it's because in my truth, in order for humanity and life as we know it to survive and thrive on planet Earth, we must, absolutely must get our soil and water microbial communities back to a healthy, balanced state. And so that's what we're being able to, we essentially with the food waste compost, we've shifted from being on the supply side you know, working on getting compost facilities, how to collect the food waste, to now going to the supply side, because in regenerative agriculture, you do not use fertilizers. Compost is the name of the game. And you also clean up all the sides and get, um, and there's a lot of other, I mean, I could go down the path, but that's not where my expertise, I do know a lot about it, but I'm very excited to be working in the regenerative agriculture and soil health. And we also have done a lot with the healthy food school programs up in South Carolina. 
so that's a nutshell. That, so that's a lot to unpack there. Let's kind <laughs> of go back. It sounds like you took the scenic route. I did. You know, it was scenic. And I, I appreciate that. The part I wanted to pull out there was about the um, projects you did with the malls and then with the airports. Did I hear okay. you correctly that they're not continuing those programs? Correct. Uh, no, uh, on the airport. One thing I'd like to say, the at the Atlanta airport, it was a great run there. We worked, uh, and this will segue into something else that I'll want to emphasize later, is what happened was in 2009, the during Green Foods of Alliance days, went down, I got introduced, we were under the old airport concessionaire contract. So there was um, it, just two major um, concessionaires at the airport at the time. And HMS Host was the predominant one. And I met with Tim Slaney down there. We met about three or four times. We brought the EPA down. We brought the um, it, Georgia Department of Natural Resources Sustainability Division people, you know, figured out all how we could do this back of the house food waste collection. And I totally had all concessionaires on board with us. But everywhere we looked, it was roadblock, roadblock, roadblock. Well, then a year later, we just put it on hold. We never talked about it. We never said we were putting on hold. We just did. And then um, a little over a year later, Michael Shane, who's a hero in my world, he was um, appointed to the newly created Atlanta Airport Director of Asset Management and Sustainability. And the city of Atlanta called me in to go down and meet with Michael right after he um, got that position. And I walk into this room and I sit down and I'm listening to them and they want to do food waste collection and they're going on. I'm looking, oh, my God, all these people in the room, they're the roadblock. And they're telling me that the concessionaires are the roadblock. And I'm finally, when it's my turn to talk to the guys, I took care of that a year ago. And Michael didn't believe me. So we did a meeting and brought in um, Tim Slaney. And I didn't call Tim before this meeting. Okay. Um, he walked in and it was surreal. We were verbatim. I mean, there was hardly a difference in our, our words. And Michael was just, his jaw was dropping down to the floor. And this is how, in my, you know, how divine energy works when things are ready to rock and roll is we were in the midst of the RFP for the 2011 Atlanta airport contract. And think about this. This is the busiest airport in the world. It's a 10-year contract, three one-year options. That's the biggest food service contract ever issued, okay? And Michael made a bold statement. They were doing an addendum to the proposal, and he included a provision in there that all food vendors would serve their consumer facing packaging would be compostable and they would source separate for um, organics collection for compost. That was huge. Remember, this is 2011. That is amazing. It made it through. It was in the contract. And then for two years, Michael contracted with Elemental Impact and the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, my very good friend, Brenda Platt. And we worked on, first we did a document, and these are all on the website and available for download. Um, it was a packet that I wrote the first page that says, hey guys, this is what you signed. This is what you are legally obligated to do. 
Then Brenda wrote in the whys and really what is food waste composting, com- what's compostable packaging, did all the definitions, and then the um, Q&A. And what was big about this is we brought together, EI did this, brought together all of the food and beverage executives um, in the value chain for those uh, trade associations like FPI, the Food Service Packaging Institute, Green Blue Sustainable Packaging Coalition. Um, I think Keep America Beautiful might have even worked on it some. But we brought in all these people. Then we brought in like Nature Works. They they make PLA, which is the... um, for the compostable packaging. So we brought them all in. And before we went back to the airport, we would always run everything by Linda Dunn, who was the vice president of supply chain at HMOs to HMS host to make sure that it all made sense. And what was beautiful about the team that was pulling this together before we got to Linda, I was the only one with food service background. So I'd have to call it guys that won't work. <laughs> that will not work. <laughs> so that was really big. But then they brought on um, after two years, the second one, the second year, our project was basically building out a really intricate spreadsheet to help make sure monitor compliance with this. But then they brought on internal staff and we kind of got pushed out. And um, in my book, they did not understand that these tenants were legally obligated and they bow down to other things. And I'd rather not say more than that, but it was very sad for me because Atlanta airport had the opportunity to just completely shine. They still shine because they have that obligation, um, that contract provision. And another little segue on that is one of EI's premises is we do not get involved in public policy, ordinances, lobbying, never. But what we do is we work to get it, because remember, I'm a business person. We make sure that it's going to make good, sound business sense. And we make sure that it's legally required, that you're incentivized from that standpoint. That's a very interesting story. Thank you for sharing that. It's well documented. Can you define what a zero waste zone is? Back, Back in the day what the zero waste zone was is we've uh, I'm instead of defining because zero waste um, we work very closely with the U S zero waste business council. We were their um, media partner for the five years before they were bought by the U S GBC. And in most places they say zero waste is 90%. Before you can get any type of certification on zero waste, you must be 90% diversion from landfill of repurposing your material. And what's very important there is, I get so frustrated with this, incineration is not diversion from landfill. Incineration is in the same category as um, landfill destination. And so, and, and when you're true zero waste, and I work closely still with Stephanie Barger, she was the um, founder and executive director of the U.S. Zero Waste Business Council, and she's now the U.S. GBC Global Director of Market Transformation. And when you get to the true levels of zero waste, and that's the new name of the program, by the way, is you go back into your supply chain, because let's say you, you you're fortunate, you have you know, 2%, 1% going to landfill. I mean, you really get it down there. But if you're bringing in part of your supply chain, part of your products, and the manufacturer is not zero waste, 
then you're implicitly bringing in waste to your product and vice versa. If what you're manufacturing a product that the packaging isn't uh, compostable, recyclable, or reusable, you're producing waste for your consumer. So you can't be zero waste. So it's a whole it it's a holographic, holistic approach, and that's where my truth lies with it. And you do the so best. Sounds, so it sounds a lot more complicated than it is. Yes, it's yes, and it takes a supply chain. And the Ellen MacArthur, Ellen MacArthur Foundation—they're the ones who brought. They're out of Britain, and they're the ones who brought the circular economy terminology to mainstream. They're a phenomenal organization, and they're working with the manufacturers to just take a light bulb or, or for example, you know, you, you no longer purchase light bulbs, you purchase light and they will come in and replace your light bulbs, you know, and then take the other ones back and redo them or they'll recharge them, whatever they do. But just in that example, the light bulbs are not disposed of. They're kept in the supply circle. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, it's important. So Holly, The crux of our conversation is the why behind what you do. And you kind of touched on it earlier, but what drives you? What keeps you moving this mission forward? Well, I did tell you before about the microbial community, and that is a driver. But what my real driver is, is as we talked beforehand, I'm a Scorpio. I, I came here for purpose, and I know it. I knew that as a young child at four and five years old. And... I have a deep soul level commitment to fulfill my soul purpose. And I have devoted my physical vessel to divine essence. And I, that is my motivating factor is to align with my truth, to continue to um, achieve and move forward within my soul path. I don't think I've heard anyone say it as eloquently as their soul purpose what evidence or how do you know? You just know it. That's what I was told one time I went to some yoga thing or whatever it was. And she was doing readings and she told me you're clairsentient. You know, there's clear audio where you hear, there's clairvoyant where you see. I'm clairsentient. I know things. And I'm proud to say I'm 60 years old. I'm in my seventh generation in this physical vessel. And so, therefore, I'm an elder. And I've been around the block. I know how to trust my knowing. You know, in my earlier, my youth, I didn't necessarily trust it. But there's been time and time again where I just know things and I go and I do. I knew to start a catering business. It made no sense. None. I I follow my own logic. And, you know, again, it's just a knowing. It's not tangible. I appreciate that. And it resonates. I get energy surges through my body. And this is fun. Okay. Or goosebumps, I would say, because that sounded better to the things. And one time I'm in a me- meeting and I mentioned Michael Shane earlier, Director of Asset Management Sustainability at Atlanta Airport. And he was talking about something. And he looks at me, Holly, are you getting goosebumps? Please get goosebumps. <laughs> so, it, so they it are sounds, no So point. it sounds to me that you lean very heavily on intuition. And I've been hearing more about that recently, about a, a whole body knowing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and in my truth, it is important to live in your heart. You have a heart mind. And the job of the linear logical mind is done. That was done, you know, a little while ago. 
So I don't operate in a linear world. I really appreciate that. And changing gears a little bit, I was going through your website. Can you share a little bit about your interest or your current views on regenerative agriculture? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, I've written, started writing articles. I was working with Kiss the Ground, and they're the ones who did, if anyone out there has not seen this um, soil story, I highly recommend it. It is a four-minute video, and it is the crux of the article I wrote, A Carbon, cr carbon Crisis, Simply a Matter of Balance. And in very simplistic terms, kind of animated, it explains how we are why we are in this carbon crisis that we are. And it's simply because too much carbon has come out of our soils by agricultural methods from the very beginning of our agricultural times and is entering the atmosphere. When it enters the atmosphere and the atmosphere gets out of balance with carbon, it comes down into the oceans. That's ocean acidification. And when the ocean acidification, now there's a difference between ocean warming and ocean acidification. Ocean warming is what's killing off the reefs. That's very important, but that's not what I'm talking about. The ocean acidification is killing off our phytoplankton. And what's very important to understand, even though the rainforests and the Amazon basin, I totally agree, are the lungs of the earth. About two-thirds of our atmospheric oxygen, that's what we breathe, comes from phytoplankton, and we're killing it off because of our agricultural methods. Then go back to the Dust Bowl. Remember the Great Plains. They were lush with grasses before we killed off all the buffalo and how the, the grazing patterns. And I could go into the details of it, but just know that, you know, it's the matter that they defecate and urinate on the land. They can't continue at that place because they're going to make themselves ill because of their um, defecation and urination. So they leave, but they take and they prompt in natural fertilizer. Um, their defecation as they leave. And then the plants aren't killed. They get to thrive again by the time the next buffalo herd comes around. That's very important. What did we do? We came in, we killed all the buffalo. That buffalo massacre is just devastating. And then we put monocrops in. And then we left fields barren and we created a scenario of the dust bowl. But it's the earth is very forgiving when you go and you go back and you basically regenerative agriculture is farming in nature's way. And it's honoring the natural cycles and knowing the importance of the mycorrhizal fungi network in the soil. And that's why you do not till. And it's important. You don't have monocrops. You have multiple crops. You have cover crops. And I'm not the expert in this. I have my topsoil version, but I'm, I just know that that is, if we can regenerate the way we do our farming, we can rebuild our soils, we can start creating carbon sinks. And a carbon sink, very simply, is just an area of land that sucks down, they use that term, 
drawdown, sequesters, whatever term you would like to use, the carbon from the atmosphere into the soil. And it does that at a greater rate than the soil releasing carbon from the soil. When you hear um, them talk about organic matter in the soils, that's carbon. And that's how you measure the success. So that's just a nutshell version. Thank you. So you've been on quite an amazing journey. What are some of the aha or surprise moments that you've had? Well, a big surprise aha moment was for me that I was a photographer. I had no idea. I'm the person who went to Europe three times, took a point and shoot camera back in film days and never developed the cameras. I did not like it. But my father, um, he was a love photography. And so as he was dying, I went and got another point and shoot and had him put it together. And I mean, just with this Nikon point and shoot, the miracles were happening. I was like, oh my God. And so then I bought a Nikon um, cool pics and I was getting phenomenal. Birds pose for me, the insects really pose. And so then my mother gifted me, my father gifted me with the photography gene and my mother gifted me with the equipment back. I remember she gave me $2,000 in um, 2013 for my birthday gift to buy a camera. And I bought my camera at Costco because I knew nothing about cameras. And I got one of those kits. It was November 27th. And it wasn't until January 3rd, that was 2013, January 3rd, 2014, that I had the nerve and the gall to open that box. And I went out for the first time and I have public publishable pictures from it. And that was the start of my photography journey. And as you're probably understanding, I get intense. I'm thorough and I went on to a major studying um, on that. And I, a lot of times within my speaking engagements and writing, I didn't know I was an author either. And now I have a blog that is top 450,000 page views. Um, it's find the voice they can hear. Well, with the pictures, you can take and make artistic ren- renderings of things that are, you know, plastic on the beach and different other things. And people see that better, you know, if you make it artistic. So that was my big aha moment is basically, oh my God, I'm a photographer. And now I'm proud to say I am a published photojournalist in national publications. That's beautiful. And how is it tied into Elemental Impact? Well, on the Elemental Impact page, we have the EI Digital Books page. And so three of my articles are now published under EI Digital Books because the first one was about Kennesaw State. My very first published article was an eight page, two article series filled with all my photography on Kennesaw State University's Hickory Grove Farm that essentially took a 26-acre former cement mixing site that was leased to them by the uh, Georgia Department of Transportation, and they transformed it with regenerative agriculture practices into this thriving organic farm that provided um, 25% of the food for Kennesaw State's, the Commons, Gold Lead Certified Dining Hall that serves 6,000 students a day when you know it's open full-time. So that's how it ties in. I write about, you know, art things. I'm known for documentation. A lot of my photography has been just documenting. I have over 200 albums on the EI Facebook page. And as I told you when we were talking, I just finished a three-article series, A Decade of Impact, that chronicles from our history and background 
through the era of recycling and refinement and into the era of regeneration. And the Facebook albums on the um, last two, the recycling, refinement and regeneration are at 700 photos each. And each one of them stands alone with its description. So I appreciate that. And I will put links to that in the show notes. Thank you. Last question I have for you is that if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? I have twofold. One is stay in your heart. Understand who you are and what is your purpose here. And don't waver from it. And be true to yourself. Understand that your truth is not static. It's evolutionary and it's going to change. So be flexible with yourself and move and to be cognizant of those who don't align with what your truth is. You can still be friends with them. Just don't talk about these things because you don't need to have that doubt creep into you. You're, if you're hearing this and you're listening to me, you're here for everyone's here for purpose, but you're, you're ready for that purpose. And so. Be cognizant on that and live in your heart, not your mind. Secondly, understand energy flow. I use that word a lot. In fact, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium general manager, Scott Jenkins, asked me just last year, he said, Holly, you always use the word flow. What do you mean by that? And I thought that was interesting that he would have picked up on that. But that's about knowing when what you're working on is flowing. Everything's falling into place. And that's great. Put your energy into it. But know when it shifts and it's no longer flowing. Just simply, I call it uh, going to the uh, sidelines or putting it on the side burner. Just put it over there and let it percolate itself. There'll be something else that'll be flowing. Go and work on that. And I gave an example of that earlier, where a year before in 2010, I had done all the legwork for the food waste um, collection pilot at the Atlanta airport, but it stopped flowing. So I put it on the sidelines. A year later, it was flowing again. We had done all the groundwork and it just took off like a rocket. So that's my advice. Well, Holly, I sincerely hope things keep falling in place for you. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? Yes, there is. I would like to share about the initiative that I am working on within Lambda Alpha International. Lambda Alpha International is a land economics honorary that I'm honored to serve on their executive committee. And as chair, I am of the Global Land Economics, Global Regenerative Land Economics Initiative. As that chair, the it is under formation as we speak, and I am most excited about it. We have a really powerful group that's pulling together from around the globe, and our tagline is Global Thought Leaders in Supporting Complete and Equitable Communities. And just last week, urban carbon sinks, I mentioned that earlier, I mentioned carbon sinks and urban carbon sinks is essentially taking regenerative agricultural practices and applying them to landscape and grounds maintenance. And I 
just submitted a $100,000 grant proposal to a foundation for an urban carbon sinks initiative that is in partnership. It's the EI is the grantee and the LAI initiative is in partnership with it. And I am most, I already have the industry experts pulled together, but this could be a game changer. Total, because if we start doing coming in and using regenerative landscape practices, we're going to be putting in native plants. Native plants were bred, evolved. They weren't bred. They were evolved for the local climate and soil. They were. They can generally um, subsist on rainwater. You reduce significant irrigation water use. Another huge benefit of this, besides the carbon sequestration, is you stop the use of the sides, the insecticides, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides in our local parks, on university campuses, sidewalks, everywhere. And you make a much healthier environment for our population, our citizens, but you're also revitalizing urban wildlife, including insects. And another topic, another day is the insect apocalypse. We are losing our insects at drastic, um, just drastic amounts. And that is, would be fatal to the earth, to life as we know it on earth. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I wish you all the best with that grant application. Thank this you. has been a great conversation. Thank you, Holly, for your time. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Rod. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And if you want to show your support, please share our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production. 